just an answer to prayer, I prayed, Lord, please cool the place down so that Sunday we can be able to pay attention to some of the ideas presented. Didn't Janice do a great, great job there? Wow. That was uh, insightful. I felt like, okay, we've got enough. That's good. We can go home. But we're not going to do that because you know me better than that, don't you? Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about this last set in our series dealing with the desert. What happens when we find ourselves in the desert? Now, remember, we've talked about at least three different arenas before we got here today. And the first one was we talked about the issue of why me? That's the first question we find ourselves uh, hanging on to when we get into times of difficulty and trouble and things happen. We first start to go, why me? And the reality is God is trying to teach us at that point, as we learn, the question should be more, why not me? And Lord, thank you for allowing this to come into my life. As much as I don't enjoy it or appreciate it, I recognize that you have allowed this to happen so that I can begin to understand things that in no other way could I begin to understand them. That this will be a time in which I will draw closer to God because now I have to. And previous to this time, I was busy doing my thing. Well, now... God has forced me on my back, forced me to look up, and allowed me the privilege of learning what does he have for me, how can he build true character into my life. And we discussed that issue and that area, understanding that sometimes God has to allow us to exhaust all of our abilities before we can come to the place where we recognize we do not have control. We are not in control. Only God is in control. And that is it. Once we get to that spot, then it begins to build character in our life and allows us the privilege of becoming the person that he always intended us for to be when he first allowed us to be brought into birth itself. Uh, Someone has said that for every hundred people who can handle persecution and poverty, only one can handle prosperity. So I find myself saying, God, when you put me in the desert, You've placed me there so that I can find myself being able to handle dessert at a later time, all right? And that's why I entitled today's message, you know, how to get dessert out of the desert. Okay, so that's going to talk about how to get dessert out of the desert. And I'll touch on that in a second. So the second thing we talked about was how will I survive? The first one was why, and the second one was how. How will I survive while I'm in here? And we talked about the circular nature of this issue of knowing who God is and what he has done, that he's not a God of chaos, but he's a God of purpose, a God of planning, a God of intention. And that once we understand that we believe his promises, we follow his truth, we begin to grab a hold of that, and then we trust in who he is and what he's shown us, and we begin to live in a manner that reflects that in the midst of our storm. And then last week, uh, Eric did a, a wonderful job of helping us to understand the issue of where does my help come from? That in the midst of these hard and difficult times, that as we turn to God and recognize who he is, all that he is, and all that he wants to be in our life, that we begin to grasp the reality of a relationship with God the Father and Jesus his Son. That it's in the desert, in the time of tears, that we draw close together. It's those times that are so difficult that we begin to understand and see with the eyes of our heart who God is, how he is working, and what this is all about. And we get it for that short period of time. And then we come out. Now, 
today what I want to talk about is, well, what happens when we're back in the desert again? Because we got out and we felt like, wow, I learned all these things, and suddenly, for whatever reason, I'm back. And I'm not happy that I'm back, but I'm back in the desert. Now, why, why am I here? What is this all about? What is God trying to do? How can I build these relationships? All these things we've learned, but today what I'm going to talk about is a very, very basic, simple process by which we respond to God when we are in the midst of the desert. So as we learned in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd today, I want to talk about this issue of uh, recognizing that we're in Friday, but Sunday is coming. Okay? We're in Friday, but Sunday's coming. Or as this wonderful, mature uh, lady in Minnesota taught me, she said, Pastor Lee, I want you to understand how to spell desert as opposed to desert. And I always go, okay. And she said, you know, desert is something you don't really want to be in, and so there's only one S. But dessert is something you want all the time and lots of, so there's two of them. Okay? So that should help you from now on. You'll never misspell <laughs> dessert and desert again. When God moves into our lives, he helps us to understand that there's a purpose for desert, that the desert times often are to provide us with the ability to enjoy the dessert that he has for us later. So Romans 12, 12 puts it like this, and I want you to read that one with me. Okay, you ready? Got it right here? Be glad for all God is planning for you. Be patient in trouble and always be praying. You know, so those three B's that it talks about in that? We're going to find that again in, a, in Philippians 4 today, which is our primary text. But he's saying, be glad... Be patient, be praying. And that is the process by which, once we find ourselves in the desert and we've matured enough not to go through all the other things that we've talked about, that now we're going through that aspect of developing a relationship with the Father, understanding who He is, developing a, a grasp upon His promises. We're not afraid of the desert. We're just saying, now what do I do here? And what you do here is, first of all, as we're told over and over and over again, is you rejoice. So when the new year starts off bad, we do what? We rejoice. And I don't rejoice in the badness. I rejoice in the simple fact that God is directing and guiding my life. And because he is, I know that what I'm presently going through will provide for me something wonderful in the future. That what I have to deal with now is difficult, but the result of that will be a powerful change in my life and the ability to bring peace to others at a future point in time. So today what I want to talk about is these three simple compass points that help us to find our way back home, out of the desert, so that we can enjoy the dessert that God has for us all the time. So when desert comes into our life, the first thing as mature Christians we do, which always makes other people wonder, what the heck is wrong with you? We rejoice. We're in the midst of this and we rejoice. We give thanks to who God is and we do this always. So someone says to me, well, how, how often are you supposed to rejoice in this? You're supposed to rejoice what? Always. Now, it's simple, but it's not easy. It's simple, but it is not easy. It's never easy. God says the first thing you want to do, first and foremost when you're in the desert, is to embrace it. Don't run from it. Don't say, I'm not going to do this. I've got a physical therapist over here, you know, one of our guys here in the church. And I guarantee you the first thing is you've got to embrace the pain. 
You've got to embrace the struggle. You've got to embrace the difficulty because it is that which will pull you out of and enable you to live life correctly and appropriately as God wants you to do. But first, you must embrace it as difficult as that is. You've got to embrace it. You've got to rejoice that this is in front of you now. I celebrate. We act like a citizen of heaven, not a citizen of this earth. My life is not about what I can get here. My life is about preparing me for that time I'm going to stand before God and I begin to understand the basic principle of godly living. And that's God's cry to us. So he says, first of all, we embrace the desert. We have joy because it's an emotion that God will provide for us if we ask for it. And as you embrace that desert, that's what will happen. Miraculously, amazingly, what will begin to happen is you'll find joy beginning to well up inside you. And you go, oh my goodness, I have this incredible joy. Why do I have joy? Because God gave it to you. And he's saying to you, you know, I will give you this wondrous, wondrous joy if you'll embrace it. It's that sense of as you start running and you finally get to that particular spot and suddenly you get this pump-up stuff comes inside you and go, whoa, what's happening? And you move to that second wind. And there's, there's this wonderful thing that takes place. And God says, I want to give you that in the midst of your desert. I want you to have this wonderful grasp of understanding that you can rejoice again and again and again. So Paul says, I tell you, rejoice. And again, I say to you, rejoice. Always be full of the Lord. I say it again. He says, rejoice. And this is from someone who's in prison struggling with these things. And he's saying, God is so wonderful. And that's our cry today out of Philippians chapter 4. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to a section, that's what we're going to walk through. Simply, succinctly, we're going to walk through Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to do verses 4 through 11 or so. Now, first of all, sometimes when we find ourselves in the desert, it's because we've rejected God's directive for our life. And God said, I have to bring you back here because you rejected my call. It's an umpire who said, you're out, and you said, I'm not going anywhere. I'm just going to stand here. And finally, I have to bring in the guys who literally pull you and walk you out of the arena. Because when God makes the call, that's the call. As the umpire used to say, it ain't over till I say it's over. It's not a strike until I say it's a strike. That point in time is when it becomes what it is. So God has said, you've rejected my call in your life and you began to lose your joy and I've pulled you into this place of desert for you to understand who I am, for you to identify who you are. So he says, you must be rejoicing in the Lord. And that's a recognition of our special calling, our special identity. Over and over in the scripture, you see this. You are in the Lord. You are his child. You have his peace. You understand his truth. You have his power. And he's trying to help us understand this. Paul says, while you are in the Lord, you can rejoice. Because in the midst of this, God will bring out of something that is awful, something wonderful. That's his promise. And that's his desire, because that is miraculous. And that's what begins to happen in our lives as we respond to him. So he goes on to say, let your gentleness in the midst of these difficult times be evident to all. Because when I find myself in tough times, I don't want to rejoice. In fact, what I want to do is I want to strike out. I want to be angry. I want to say, get out of here. 
I don't understand why this is happening. Why me? This is... You got the idea, right? <laughs> You're getting a flow there. Instead, Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all. I go, gentleness? Why does he want me to be gentle here? He says, because gentleness is an evidence of God's presence, that I believe God will handle this situation and this difficulty and this circumstance that, that is happening right now. And so I gently move aside for God. I gently move aside for God, and I try when others come to me to speak to them gently, because some of them are as angry as I want to be. And they're thinking, this shouldn't be happening to you. Why is this going on in your life? And you're to respond with gentleness and help them to understand. God does not pick favorites. And in the midst of this situation, he intends for me to rejoice and know that he is near. He is near. He's close by. He's always standing there going, it's okay. The Lord is my shepherd. And because of that, I need never be concerned about want. He will provide for me in every situation. He is near. When my children were young, up until they grew up to be, you know, uh, age, really old age, like 25, uh, no, actually more like 9 or 10, prior to that, I was always what? Near. Near. I was always right. I still think I'm always right, but, you know, <laughs> I was always near. I, watched, I did not let them out. I said, we were over at, at Eric's celebrating over Grayson's birthday and uh, one of his friends turns there and he said they're turning and does one of these okay where's my son at where's my son at he said I I thought my wife had a handle on that one but I think we didn't discuss we didn't communicate oh there he is okay you see the point being he's always near and that the child was just right there literally you know 20 feet away from us but because he hadn't spot lost his sight for a second we're always near we're always watching we're always, and we're aware that at any point in time they may need my help. I still remember my daughter Joy, and she was um, three years old at the time. We were at a pool, and we were over there having a good old time, and she loved the water, and we were kind of doing our thing. And all of a sudden, I hear, I'm looking around saying, where's Joy at? And I hear a scream. And my wife goes, Joy. And she'd fall into the pool. And I looked over there and went, ah! and I did my Tarzan thing. Dove into the water. <laughs> Got there and Mary had already pulled her out. But it was, <laughs> but it was kind of cool, you know, that did that. So what? Yeah, you get getting the but mom's always near, see? So although she, she was boom right there, pulled her out and Joyce just, ah, isn't that funny? We're like, oh, heart and throat. Go to a park, you know, we're off to Disneyland. We're having a great time. Hey, you know, this and this and this. Where's Joy? Where's my daughter? And, oh, there she is right there. Oh, thank you, Lord. Very quickly, when you realize they're just gone for a second, God said, I'm always near. I won't leave you. I understand that you are a child. Because we all are children. Even if we're 95 years old, in God's eyes, you are a child. You're just beginning to understand. And as we grow in confidence, we're patient Knowing God always shows up and he always shows you what it is that he wants to do. Had fun time this, this is last week. This is something that happened with Janice. Janice is kind of 
point today. Sorry, Janice, you just became it. We had a fun thing. We have a variety of things taking place. Uh, Justin's involved in uh, some ministry areas within the church and the school things. And Janice is a counselor over at Costa Mesa uh, High School. Uh, that's where Mary and her met. And it was kind of a fun, that's kind of a neat thing. All, all that came together. We met her quickly and we found this instant like, wow. We really have similar spirits and got to hug and share and got together and doing different things. Well, something came up the other day with Mary. So I got to tell you, we're in this counselor's meeting and the guy who was supposed to be in charge of this mentoring thing that Justin has been involved in trying to help take place at the high school. And he said, well, you know, um, I don't know if this thing's supposed to happen here or something along that end, but I'm kind of, I'm kind of over it or whatever. And Janice said, can I take that? Because she had met Justin the Sunday before. Now, she didn't, for you know, I was going to mention it, but this is a God thing going on where God is constantly trying to say, look, I've got you, i got you taken care of. You take care of me, I'll take care of you. It's a process happening. He's always, always near. We rejoice. God is in control. And then we're confident. See, sometimes, we're not cocky, by the way. There's a difference. We're confident. We're confident because we've been here before. We're not rookies anymore. That's why we're back in the desert. It's not the first time. We're not rookies. I've done this over and over and over. I go, I'm not a rookie here. I know how God works. Eyegrass is going to... It's very irritating to me when I lose my confidence. I know better. I know that God's not just going to show up, but that God is always in the middle working things together for my good. So Paul goes on to say, let your gentleness be evident at all. Rejoice always. And then he says, don't be anxious about anything. Instead, in everything, by prayer and request with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. We're to be confident, not anxious, patient, recognizing that God will come at the time that he is determined. And he always knows the right time that he's supposed to come in. And if we will wait patiently, confidently, when he shows up, and he always does, then we'll have a great smile on our face and a sense of joy. Yeah! As opposed to the doggone it. I'm driving down the street and I know it's just around the corner, but I better turn around. So I turn around the car and I go back the other way. And I go, well, doggone it's not here either. I turn back and go over the other way. And finally I just go one block farther and I find out there was the turn I was supposed to be waiting for. But I just wasn't patient enough to wait for that next street. I turned just a little bit early. And God said, if you'll just stay on the path, I told you, I'll show you what to do. Be confident in that. Have I ever let you down? And we're saying, no. So the first thing we do when we find ourselves in these difficult times is we do what? We what? We rejoice. The second thing we do is we, we're confident. We're confident. Prayer, in this particular case, is God's replacement product for, for worry. I'm going to talk about that last aspect of, of prayer in just a minute. In fact, the word here where he says don't be anxious for anything, the word in the Greek means to be pulled in two different directions. Anxiety means to be pulled in two different directions. Hope or fear. It's kind of like the first time you asked a girl for a date. There's this sense of fear and hope. Will she say yes? Now it gets really big when it comes to times to ask your wife to marry you. And it's engagement time because that's the big one. And you bought the ring and you get it all ready and you pull it out and you say, will you marry me? And she says, let me think about it. <laughs> Ow. <laughs> like, oh my goodness. 
I'm in trouble now. And he goes, oh, kidding, yes! <laughs> and I go, oh, scared me half to death there. I thought we had a good thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hope, fear, expectation, anticipation, but also the sense of fear. I'm not absolutely positive. Okay? But God will always provide you with just Enough. It's, it's a picture of the manna in the desert where every day the manna comes back and God says, you can only pick up enough for today, to eat for today. But if you keep it any farther, it goes bad. Every day you must depend upon God providing for you. And that's what he's trying to teach us in these desert times. You cannot provide for yourself. Quit trying. You're foolish. I will provide for you as you yield to me. We believe that God is always providing enough. He says, and then the peace of God, which is beyond our comprehension, surpasses all of our understanding. It actually guards our heart. It guards our mind as we stay in Christ Jesus and we have this confidence. In the midst of the storm and the difficulty and the struggle, we say, no, 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 God is in the middle of this. I will see what it is. I just can't see it yet. The eyes of my heart are not yet open, but they will get open. They will get open. That's why he said, finally, brothers... Whatever is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable, these excellent things that are praiseworthy, think on these things. So in the midst of these trials, you want to think of these terrible ideas and you just want to push people away from you. He says, no, gather people towards you. Begin to think of all the wonderful things God is doing. Focus on those things. And when you do that, the time will begin to pass correctly. And before you know it, in fact, oftentimes, after it's done, you'll suddenly realize, I'm eating dessert. Oh, my goodness. I'm eating dessert. God has done everything that needed to be done. And now I'm here. And I can see and I can understand. We all have different trials and struggles. I want you to watch this video of a gal whose life is a trial, but that God uses in miraculous ways. I already give you guys a video. What can I? What can I say? She's still trying. Hey, what can I say? We need to move on. First thing we learn to do in the midst of our situations is we learn to rejoice. After we learn to rejoice, then we find ourselves gaining the sense of confidence. And we gather ourselves, not in isolation, but around the people that want to minister to us and encourage us and give us an understanding. Because one thing that God has taught us about the church is that we're saved in community, not in isolation. Now, the first thing you're going to want to do when you get in these times of difficulty and you start to find yourself in the midst of this trial, first you may start to rejoice, but as you lose your confidence, you're going to want to try to pull away from people. It's the exact opposite of what you're supposed to do. You need to get involved in community and be involved in those various things that Paul says usually when he says, whatever is true and noble. And the spirit of truth will direct you to the truth. And in this case, the word true means reliable. Those things which we found to be constantly reliable. Remember what Jesus said about building your house upon his words? It would be like building your house on a rock. He says, rely upon the truths that I've taught you in relationship to life and how to respond to others. I know you want to respond in this way. Don't. Instead, respond in this way. I know that in this particular situation, you want to respond this way. Don't. Instead, respond this way. He said, and as you do, you will find these true words that I've given you. As you begin to live them out, you'll find freedom. 
That freedom will provide for you this wondrous understanding of what life is about and how to live it out. The truth will set you free. And that's what he's talking about as we live out this truth. So whatever is true and noble, we think on these things. The word for noble really is is this outstanding, uh, wonderful, over and above all things. Uh, There's a great scene in Braveheart. Okay, a show that came out a while back with, with Mel Gibson. And the scene shows him interacting with the nobles, okay? English nobles. And he says, nobility, nobility is from the heart. It's from our actions, not from our birth. So whatever is noble in terms of its response to us and our response to the desert proclaims our commitment to God's plan and His purpose. What's ever noble, whatever is worthy of respect, whatever is true, that's how we respond. Then he goes on to say, you know, whatever is right and pure. We go back in Genesis where he talks about the aspect of doing whatever is right. I was talking with Rich Rapoli the other day who was a, a commander of Los Angeles Police Department and he was up in the number two spot for a period of time. And we talked about what went on there. He said, my rabbi... <laughs> my mentor, talked to me about what I should do. He said, can you give me just some basic thing? When I first began this process of going up the ladder in terms of leadership, I became a captain. And he said this. He said, always do what's right. Don't worry about what other people think about you. Don't worry about what you're going to gain as a result of it. Just do what is right. And you will know the right thing to do. You'll always know it. You will know. And Rich said, man, how right he was. (laughs) How right he was. And he's retired now. But he said that was the key to living life in these desert situations, even as a police commander and delegate there. He said, you do the right thing, whatever is right, whatever is pure. So pure is talking about the issue of of morality in this case. That when we recognize evil, we we push away from it. We go after purity, that which is without contamination. And we seek that in our lives. What is worthy of God's approval. Then he goes on to say whatever is lovely and admirable. And we all know the 1 Corinthians 13 text talking about what love always does. And so when people ask me, well, what is love? I always say, you know, there's, there's four primary aspects of love. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and it always perseveres. So you begin to understand that's the element that we must have in our life in relationship to who God is. We choose to focus on lovely, admirable things. That love promotes peace and unity and it breaks up bitterness and destruction. That it always protects, it supports people, it covers over them. Uh, in the Old Testament, the word is NASA, from which we get the term to lift up. I should give you a new thing there. It means to lift up. I thought that was interesting that that's the, the title for our space thing there. Uh, always trusts, has faith in. It takes chances with that one. And the word for there is the word we use, amen. We trust, we believe. It's going to take place, amen. And then it always perseveres, hupomeno. It always waits until the fine wine is ready. Okay? I don't know about you. I like, I like good wine. I love good wine. I hate cheap wine. The older I get, the more I hate cheap wine. And, I, and I'm cheap, so that's the hard thing. <laughs> so it's like this constant struggle. 
But fine wine takes time, baby. It takes time and effort, and therefore it costs more because it's been done the right way. And the cheap stuff, it's done really quick. It's done really quick. And your fine wine, God wants to make you fine wine. That takes what? Time. So we're confident in who God is when we begin to focus on each of these things. The last thing is focus on what's excellent and, and praiseworthy, what fits, what is correct, what's right. He said, and then the last thing you need to do constantly is you need to pray without ceasing. Be praying. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And everything give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't quit. Keep inquiring. Keep looking. Submit to your Father, for He knows best. What I mean by this, I keep praying, saying, Lord, what about this? What about this? What? I go through all kinds of things with God. Say, well, Father, what about that? What? And on and on we go, constantly, regularly, consistently. Eleven years ago, Mary and I were at Ayers Hotel. We were praying in our room. We just talked with many of you that are here today. And we were saying, you know, Lord, do we have to go here? It's a mess. And I don't know if I have the ability. I, I, I don't know. It's, going to be, it's just going to be hard. I don't know if I have the fortitude. Oh, Father, show us what you want us to do. And we'll do whatever you want. But I sure like it if it's no for here. Yeah, that's what it was. And that's the truth. And many people have heard me share that. It was, I, just, I, just, I loved, I wanted, I just didn't think. And knock on the door came somebody sharing with me and we said and we prayed and after we got done praying about an hour later and my wife turned to me and she said, we're coming, aren't we? I said, yeah, I think so. We'll, we'll, we'll allow God to show us if he wants us to or not. And that started the process that went into play. And uh, God brought us here. And now I'm eating dessert, baby. Wow. I go, I can't imagine. Boy, Lord... I'm so glad I wasn't so stupid as to have said no. Because you had an intention and a plan and a desire for me as well as for this church body. And you'd have a continued one here. And he's continuing to unfold it and unfold it and unfold it. And it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. As we rejoice and we're confident and we pray again and again and again. And that is God's cry for us when we find ourselves back in the desert. To pray simply. Simple prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, our debts. We forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil because yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen? And that's the cry. Keep praying. We keep praying. And then God gives us the answer. So worship team comes out, kind of closes in the last few songs here. I just um, finish this 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 thought here with us. We talk about the area of of it's it's simple, uh, but is but it's not easy. Uh, uh, there's a story that that was fun. It's a fireman who was in Philly. And he's in the midst of this fire and he goes in and finds a lady there and he takes off his oxygen mask and gives it to her and helps her out. And he's almost fired because they've told him, you can't do that. You have to get her out and then you give her the oxygen. He said she needed it right then. There wasn't going to be enough time. Okay? 
And they said, you can't make that decision there. He said, I have to make that decision there. Anyway, they decided, since he was a hero, they better not fire him. So the lady came out, was rejoicing with her and giving thanks. And then the next thing he realizes, she had no money. So he said, now that I've saved her, I've got to take care of her. So he gave her $500 so that she'd have some funds to take care of for the next period of time until they came her way. When you choose to save something, it's simple, but it's not easy. Hey? I love it. I was uh, in the plane the other day, and they've got the little sign there, and they tell you when the oxygen stuff comes into play and the oxygen tank falls down, if it falls down, the first thing you do is place over your own face and then take care of your child. I thought, what if you have two children? Which one's first? It's simple, but it's not easy. Let's pray. Father, today we thank you and that you are a God who calls us to rejoice in our trials and our tribulation in those times in the desert. And that you are a God who builds confidence within us. We're not confident in ourselves; We're confident in you, that you will always be there for us every single time. And so we pray, as we pray now, we would ask that today might be a day in which we are able to enjoy freedom. That this beginning of the new year can be a declaration of our commitment to you and our desire for you to bring newness into our life, to release us from the past, from the guilt, from the struggles, from the questions, and bring us to this wonderful, wonderful place of Genesis life. Thank you as you work that even now. For we yield to you and we ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.